Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden, and we've got a very special, very different episode for you guys today. Trying something new, and here to help me do it are my friends and colleagues at the Falcoholic. We've got Dave Choate. Dave, how you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Yeah. We got Matt Chambers. Matt, what's up? Hey, just happy to be talking uh, Falcons. Always a fun topic, right? Oh, heck yeah, man. Especially when they win. And when they win in historic fashion, which is the case for today's game, we're talking about the 2000, actually it took place in 2003. It always confuses me. I never know, are we supposed to say the year it happened or the season that it happened? 2002 season, 2003 wildcard playoff win in Lambeau Field, the first time the Packers had ever lost at home in the playoffs. Michael Vick led the Falcons to a huge victory, his first in the postseason, 27 to 7. It was snowy. It was nighttime. Al Michaels, John Madden. I mean, what more could you ask for from a football game, guys? Absolutely nothing. And that's the thing about this game is like, I have a lot of fond memories about it for so, so many reasons. And like going back and, and watching it again with a fresh set of eyes, like I miss that, that announcer pairing so much. I still love snow football. And um, you know, Falcons beating the Packers, like with the exception of that one year, we don't have to talk about in this. Um, you know, they've been, they did that. They've done that quite a bit of late. And it's kind of nice. Yeah. That one year, yeah. though, that that's that's a bad year. <laughs> it was, yeah. There, there are more bad years than good years. So here we are. I don't know what bad years you guys are talking about, but this was like a good refresher of what it was like to watch the Falcons when they could play football really well. And uh, I, I liked a little bit of that old kind of like nostalgic football. These guys were, well, I, I, it seems like they were trying to injure each other. So maybe maybe not that <laughs> part, but I, I mean, the Falcons just running the ball left and right, just going into Lambeau and uh, uh, beating up the Packers. I was, it, it was so crazy to see special teams play defensive plays and uh, everything. It's, uh, it, it's been a while since I think I've seen that complete of a game out of uh, Atlanta. It's it's definitely been a long time since we saw that many uh, players in the backfield all at once. I mean, the number of plays that were like three, like two fullbacks and uh, I mean, like the wing T was used, I think, at one point. They just went up straight up I formation, strong and weak offsets, like old school football. And honestly, like I, we'll, we'll get to this, but uh, the Packers fans booing them pretty early on in the game. I mean, like first quarter boo birds were out when like. I think when we think of these historic legacy teams and fan bases, we all imagine that they're just diehard. And like outside of Philly, Philly's like in their own category where they love to be the kind of the villainous fan base, even in their own team. But we think of the Packers fans as like they're always with their guys, diehard, blah, blah, blah. Steelers, same thing, kind of rave it like these fans that are just going to live and die with their team. No, they turned on them immediately. Like <laughs> I loved it. It was my favorite part of the game. It was great. I feel like I would do the same thing if I was stuck living in Green Bay for my like my life. And I have this one <laughs> little piece of enjoyment every year, and that's the Packers. And then they get to the playoffs and they, uh, you know, with the way this game started, I would I would probably be booing, too. I would say you are ruining the one thing I look forward to in my life all year. And uh, <laughs> this is how you guys come out the gate. 
Well, and it's crazy too because the broadcast, like listening to it again, um, I think they were talking about Favre blowing it the year before too um, in the playoffs. <laughs> and I, I didn't, I didn't have any memory of that. But like, and we'll talk about this. But like, he looked like he was hung over as hell. Like that that whole game, he just had no interest. He was slinging it out there to repeatedly Keon Carpenter, who I I that was a name that I heard it and I was like, ah, oh, that makes me happy, Keon Carpenter. Yeah, Keon Carpenter. Um, but it, yeah, it was just, it was crazy to see, yeah, the fans turn on him, but also just like how, how crummy and disinterested the Packers looked past a certain point in that great game. It was great. I loved it. It disinterested across the board. And before we, before we keep going down the rabbit hole, let's do a, a quick kind of game recaps. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and NFL futures at BetOnline. BetOnline is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's really that easy. So head over there, just get it signed up. And remember, bet online, where the game starts. Listeners, you know, if you haven't seen the game, I recommend you go watch it. Pause this, turn it off right now. We'll still be here when you come back. It's on YouTube. All of the games that I've kind of laid out for, for this project over the summer, available on YouTube. Go watch it. It's really fun. If you got you know an hour and a half to kill, you can fast forward through the boring parts. What I really like is YouTube actually kind of like clips the big moments for you. So you can go and really just see like, all right, strip sack. Cool. Let's watch this play. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. But let's do a quick recap and, and we'll kind of bounce around. So the Falcons, they won the, the coin toss and they, they wanted to, to receive the ball. Good strategy on the road in the playoffs in in y'all's eyes? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you're a team that you're trying to buck history, you're trying to beat the Packers at Lambeau for the first time ever, and crucially, you have Michael Vick. Like, let's do it, you know? Like, get, <laughs> in his get second right year, too. That's, I mean, that's like a big confidence. You're just, all right, you're out there. Let's see what you can do. Um, well, he, they, told, he told, uh, he told um, you know, the, the announcing crew before the night before the game that they were going to go in there and win. And so like the, to me, like that was, that was your show of confidence right there. You're, you're going to take it right to them. And um, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. It was the right move. I was going to say, I can respect that because uh, for a while we didn't really see that out of the Atlanta team. I think, I, I don't know if Mike Smith ever elected to receive in his, uh, you know, say his entire <laughs> career. I, I know at one point Dan Quinn started to do it. Um, or he started to he started to defer, but I think it was when we had like a, a like he preferred to defer. And then he started to once things started really going south, kind of 2019, 2020, he was like, nope, we're taking the ball. Like, you know, we're we're we want the ball. We need to score. He, he seemed to go whatever direction his team was worst in. So it's like, let's let's get out <laughs> on the field. Let's go down seven points immediately. And then that that's how we're going to start off the game. <laughs> um, so, so I, I appreciated seeing the Falcons do, you know, do that. And you're kind of like, oh, they've got, you know, they've got uh, some cojones going into Green Bay and, um, you know, uh, electing to receive. Yeah, they, they call that the let's get the bad stuff out of the way, the, the nowhere to go but up approach. Um, so that's what the Falcons were, were doing. But 
Not this time, not in this game. The Falcons marched down the field, some big plays. Quint McCord, uh, there's a name you know we haven't heard in a long time, and and work done, obviously in the in the Ring of Honor. Big plays uh, in that drive, and they score their first opening drive touchdown of the entire season. Comes in this game in the playoffs, and it really just set the tone for what was going to happen in this game. And and Keon Carpenter, as you mentioned, Dave, then the ensuing drive for Green Bay picks him off. Falcons don't do anything with that gift on offense, but special teams comes through. They block a punt, score a one-yard touchdown, sets him up for a big 14-0 lead, and then a missed field goal by the Packers ends the first quarter. Uh, and, and so a huge, huge start to the game for Atlanta. Jump on them on the road, 14-0 lead. Dave, you want to recap the second quarter for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, special teams are so huge here. And like, I feel like outside of, you know, Young Way Koo, we're not used to saying that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just not. Lately. Hey, so, put, put some respect on Money Matt's name. Uh, yes, and, and Matt Bryant, I, I'm sorry to say. But yes, everybody outside of the kicker position, I should say, we're not used to seeing that from. Um, and with that second quarter, you know, again, kind of the theme, the 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 drive stalls for Atlanta, um, but they come up big again. Um, George Lane, the fullback, recovered a muff punt deep in Packers territory. It was a weird one. I know, uh, Will, you had, you had kind of made a bold note of this. Like, why didn't the Packers challenge this? And, and like, it seemed on the replay to be pretty borderline. Um, and Well, that goes to, to kind of your point of, like, it just kind of felt like the Packers were, like, sleepwalking through yeah. this game it you know not people weren't on their p's and q's because they they made a point to show it over and over and over again on the broadcast it looks like at least from one angle that it clearly hits a falcons player on the shoulder pad and that's why the ball kind of goes off so i mean they may it may not have been enough to overturn it but again like the packers just seemed okay with letting the game kind of go the falcons way they looked like they were yeah they were headed out to Brett Favre's Mississippi farm to do whatever he does down there, you know, after that, some sort of uh, barn raising or something, but they were, they were ready to get out of there, get out of the cold and snow because they did not seem to do much of anything. And, uh, you know, the Falcons <laughs> a few plays later were able to take advantage of that. Um, the immortal TJ Duckett touchdown scoring machine. Um, that man had an insane number of touchdowns in a very short time, um, but he, he punched it in. <laughs> Falcons have a huge lead. Um, Green Bay pulls together their very best drive of the game. They're get all the way to fourth and goal from the two yard line. Um, you know, John Madden is saying that first score is the toughest one. I would take the field goal here. Like you gotta, gotta get some points on the board when you're getting your ass kicked. Um, my words, not his on television, but, <laughs> and uh, they didn't do it. They got stuffed, um, which was awesome. And then they got another three points. Falcons to go into halftime with a very short chip shot field goal from Jay Feely, um, who did not hit a lot of field goals in this game, foreshadowing. But, um, you know, you're in Lambeau. Um, This is supposed to be an impossible environment to win in. You know, the snow is starting to fall. It's cold. And the Falcons are up 24 to nothing halftime. Yeah, absolutely huge. Matt, third quarter? Yeah, third quarter, not uh, not as much fun stuff happening. Uh, like, like Dave said, hitting 24-0 at the half. And um, spoiler alert, Falcons go up 24 points and win the game. Um, <laughs> just, uh, just to note that. So uh, the Packers did string together a uh, – I, I know I have a note on this. I do want to talk about this Donald Driver touchdown. But 
after a nice long drive, Packers hit on that 14-yard touchdown to Donald Driver, who I swear seems to have had a concussion, and everyone's talking about a shoulder injury. He's not moving, and uh, Brett Favre kind of jogs him off the field, and everything's fine. Um, but my, uh, <laughs> I think, obviously, the best part about this third quarter is Michael Vick running the ball. He has a couple yeah. of, of these just uh, – the just – the, the quintessential Mike Vick runs um, exactly when you need him. Like you, you just cannot sack Michael Vick, uh, especially in this third quarter. Like a lot of people get close and then uh, he, he ends up rushing for 20, 30 yards or something like that. It's absolutely absurd. Love, love this third quarter. So uh, let's say to, uh, yeah, to, to really kind of cap that off, I think uh, we have uh, Jay Feely for a 23-yard field goal, putting it up to uh, 27 to 7. And then uh, Green Bay misses its second field goal, which uh, I, I think missed field goals, it's going to be a little, bit of a, uh, a little bit of a theme in this game. <laughs> yeah, then not, a lot of, not a lot of field goals made. And it's tough to tell if it was super windy. It was definitely snowing. Don't know how windy it was. Um, we could have Googled that, but I'm just lazy. So <laughs> they they flip the field in the fourth quarter. And weirdly, the Falcons basically drive to almost the exact same spot. I think Jay Feely missed a 44-yarder. Or not Jay Feely. Uh, Ryan Longwell missed like a 44-yarder. And then Jay Feely missed like a 45-yarder. And they both miss probably like half a foot to the left. And, and it's like the exact same pathway of the ball. So I found that kind of interesting. Um, pretty Longwell much more like short bad. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's that what was I'm a here fake for. laugh followed by a real laugh because my yeah. fake laugh is so bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then offensively, I mean, it, pretty much a snooze fest for the rest of this game, which is a good thing when you have a 27-7 lead. And the Falcons defense, really, I mean, we're, we're going to get to this, but I kind of picked this game thinking it was going to be a fun offensive game, you know, uh, with Brett Favre and Michael Vick and all that. And sure, the box score, you know, can tell you so much, but you got to watch the game to really know the flow. This is a defensive, like dominant performance for Atlanta. And we'll dive into that. But the fourth quarter, they seal this win in a huge way. They, Keon uh, Keon Carpenter gets his second pick of the game. And then we get two fumble recoveries, one on just the worst snap. I I think I've ever seen, like he pretty much just bowled it back to Brett Favre. Uh, And even, even a young Brett Favre was probably not the fastest to get to the ground. I will say to recover those fumbles and then Patrick Kearney uh, strip sacks Brett Favre on kind of their last drive and, and John Terry uh, recovers that to kind of seal the game. Then it's victory formation. Neil, get out of there, go back to warmer weather and move on in the playoffs. So guys, overall thoughts on, on this huge win. Yeah. So the thing that I was struck by watching this is like John Madden said it a couple of times, like, you know, Vic came out of so many games um, with like a pedestrian passing line, right? Like mm-hmm. you look at it and you're like, how did this guy make a huge difference? And then you're watching him play. And how do you stop him? As Madden put it several times, like he would go from sideline to sideline if he had to. He could spin away from anybody, take off and run for 20 yards. He could throw an absolute laser down the field off his <laughs> Almost back. Almost too much of a laser at times. Um, yeah, like he and he and Favre were killing their receivers. Like those, all those <laughs> Could you imagine so- in that cold? It's like oh. 20 degrees and they're throwing piss missiles at, like yeah. that are ice balls at you. They, they had some mustard on them. But like that's, it's funny because I remember playing, of course, as Vic and Madden and like, you know, your friends would complain. Like my buddy would be like, 
there's no way you just got away and ran for like a 70 yard touchdown. I'm like, he does it in real life. There's nothing unrealistic about it. And he did it all throughout this game. The Packers just did not look prepared to contain him at all. And he sort of just did what he wanted. And so you look at that stat line, like, you know, back at the box score and you might say like, you know, didn't have the best day, but honestly, like he was great all game. He did what he needed to do. And uh, I want to hop on that a little bit. So um, just remembering back in the early Mike Vick era, um, just how much of a change that Mike Vick felt like in the NFL. I I don't want to, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, overlook people who did some amazing things before him, but when Mike Vick was playing, it's like you could win any game. And uh, like you said, the announcers were like, there's just no good way to stop him. Are you, uh, you know, are you going to pressure him? Are you going to just let him sit back there and throw the ball? Because you're not going to be able to get to him like one way or another. It's just this whole new thing, which I think is what kind of brought me into this, which really brought me into this team, which is just you have you have this completely new dynamic player that you haven't seen before um, doing some amazing things. And that was, uh, you know, uh, at the very top of my list of like reasons I'm glad I rewatched that game. Yeah, it's almost like when there's just like an, such an innovation in society that then you realize looking back 10 years later that everybody else like caught up or tried to catch up to that thing that at the moment you were like, oh, this is cool. AOL, like that's interesting. And then you kind of look back in hindsight and you're like, oh, well, AOL was the predecessor of a lot of different things, even though AOL itself maybe did not pan out to be what we thought it would. It clearly influenced all of these other companies and now is such an integral part of all of our lives, even though AOL, AOL no longer exists. It's it's like roots are in everything. That type of not AOL specifically, but you you get what I'm saying. Mike like, Vick Michael is AOL. Vick. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah Mike Vick is AOL. <laughs> aren't they advertising on the Falcoholic? Uh, we we probably shouldn't badmouth them. Yeah, no, we're we're still uh, we're still doing dial up services, Earthlink. Yeah. It's all connected um, to, to Dave's dial-up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> the entire site. Look, I got uh, I got my modem. Well, there you go. 156 k. As long as nobody in my house makes a phone call, we're fine. Yeah, Dave's house catches on fire when the Falcon signs somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. Every day, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Yesterday it's, was very tough for me. Um, it's interesting looking looking back at at Vic's season, though. I mean, you mentioned how. It always felt like you were never out of a game with Michael Vick, right? Because he was capable of just things that nobody else was frankly capable of. And, and so having that player, it feels almost like you have LeBron and that you're only him going into like heat check mode away from, from getting back in any game. There was a, a loss to Tampa Bay in week four of this season. He completed four passes for 33 yards. <laughs> I mean... And and he ran for one yard, I, like that's absolutely insane. And, and I mean, I, I believe he got injured in that game. But there's another game where he played the entire game, 125 passing yards, uh, 160 passing yards, 136 passing yards. Michael Vick was not uh, Michael Vick really this season. He evolved as a passer, and that's when the Falcons really kind of found their stride that 2004 season memorably. But this team, I think, was really good. And we all look at Michael Vick as kind of the highlight of the team because he's the biggest name and he would become the face of the franchise. 
But there's a lot of remnants here of that kind of 1998 Super Bowl team that had just a really good roster. This was a really strong running game. Yes, Vic was a part of that, but he wasn't all of that yet. And the defense, as we mentioned, was huge. So what do you guys think about kind of... Dave, you mentioned Keon Carpenter. That's a name that you haven't heard in a while and it brought back great memories. To me, he was like the standout player in this game and really led a great Atlanta defense against a good Green Bay Packer offense. He was great. And like, I, I have a lot of fond memories of, of Keon Carpenter. Like, it's funny, in every era of my Falcons fandom, I feel like there's at least one safety who was like, maybe just solid, but I love the guy, you know? And, and Carpenter was this era's, and, you know, he almost had three picks in this game. And he was just... Mm-hmm. Every single one of those frozen ropes that Brett Favre was throwing um, while he was daydreaming about going back to his farm and getting smashed um, or whatever he was doing, um, you know, he was he was on it. He was he was anticipating really well where Favre was going, um, you know, great coverage. and, And he was very much on top of it. And so to me, he was the standout defensive player. But you had a lot of um, efforts. I think one of the things that I liked about this Falcons defense is everybody was pretty solid and you had a bunch of guys chipping in, you know, obviously um, Keith Brooking um, in his younger days was quite capable in coverage, maybe not against the Cardinals in 2008, but he certainly was great here. Um, Not that I'm bitter. So, you know, it was, it was really kind of like in all three levels, you saw the pass rush work, you saw the linebackers doing good work, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. Not just to hear a key on Carpenter's name again, to be like, Oh, this is, you know, this was one of his signature games. I think he is tied for the franchise record with a couple of other guys for most interceptions in the postseason. He did it all in one game. So it was almost jarring to see how good that Falcons defense was, um, even knowing that they're, you know, they, they were a couple of years away from that, uh, that, that Super Bowl defense. But uh, there, there were just all these times where it's like, a, oh, it's, it's, it's a fourth and one. And I was just like, well, the Falcons, they, they, they don't stop those. And uh, the, this defense was able to do that on the road. It was uh, it, it was just really something else. And it, it was very cool to see a lot of those, uh, at least slightly younger version of some of those players that, uh, um, yeah. you know, I, I watch a lot later uh, in their career. Like your, your Keith Brooking, who had a little bit more foot speed than, uh, than he did in that Arizona game. He might have understood that play just a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, that was, all, uh, that, that was all fantastic to watch. The that like fourth and two, the is there anything more like old school, dumb football, the way that we all sit here and talk about analytics and we talk about how you should operate in the red zone, how you should go for it on fourth down, all that good stuff to see them pretty much be on, in, a, in a fourth and two and then just line up in a jumbo set and just run the ball right up the middle. I, I was like, this is setting me back personally 35 years of my life. like. This is the dumbest old school football just for the sake of playing it safe and what running into all of the bodies. Like what, what were they doing there? Yeah. And it's funny, like I'm trying to think back to like, when did that shift start to happen? Like when did football, I don't want to say get smarter because it it hasn't totally gotten smarter, but like certainly like the decision-making and like the analytics behind it saying like, is this really the optimal decision based on what we know in this situation? Like when did that really start to come about? And it was not in 2002, 2003. Like you, you definitely <laughs> saw the Packers in this game uh, 
that was probably the dumbest decision they made, like straight up dumb decision, like telegraphing yeah. what they were going to do against a, a very good, or at least very solid Falcons uh, defensive front there. But they just made so many boneheaded decisions where you were like, there's no way anyone ever looked back at any other decisions that were made by other football teams. And we're like, well, maybe we shouldn't do this. Like this was just throwing, throwing the kitchen sink at the Falcons and it didn't work. Nothing worked all game. I, it was, they, they were just like swarming everywhere. It, players, players who I had heard of like Ken Carpenter, like Keith Brooking, all of that. But then, you know, a lot of players who I was like, I, I don't know who that guy is, but he just made a hell of a play. Like, Absolutely. Against like Amon Green, against Donald Driver, against, you know, good players, Brett Favre, like obviously a Hall of Fame quarterback. And they made him look like a, a bum in this game, frankly, you know? Well, my my uh, my whole thing would be, are we sure that Brett Favre isn't just a bum? Like, and so he's he is a great quarterback. <laughs> he's a Hall of Famer, but he the number of terrible games he had where he turned the ball over like four or five times and just single-handedly torpedo his team. Like he is, he is like a good version. He is like what people imagine Eli Manning to be when they want to put him in the hall of fame. That's Brett Favre. <laughs> like to me, he is like super Eli Manning. Um, I know wow. how great, I, I know how great he was, but at the same time, like looking back on him now, looking back at this game, you know, it, it just, he made so many mistakes. It was crazy. So Matt, Brett Favre overrated. <laughs> well, so actually, so I, I have potentially an even hotter take. If Brett Favre is drafted today, does he end up a good quarterback if he plays like how he played throughout his career? Because no, I don't know yeah. if he gets that leash anymore. Uh, he's the the NFL's change, and I think like what, what he does, like you cannot have, <laughs> you just can't have it. He's kind of like that uh, the the Giants quarterback um Danny Dimes Danny, Danny Dimes. Dimes. like he feels like I was actually I was thinking that exactly as well except minus the athleticism because yeah. at least Daniel Jones will break off a 60 yard run yeah, uh, yeah. Brett Favre is not not doing that but like with, with all the like just an absolutely insane number of uh fumbles just terrible terrible decisions with the ball and this was like he wasn't like a rookie like he was this was 2002 like even John Madden was saying well, there are some rumors Brett Favre might retire soon. And I was like, oh, God, that, that went on for a long time. But like, he's like, I got some bad news for you, John. <laughs> he's a veteran at this point. Now, I'm like, I, I can't I can't imagine many teams in the NFL now would put up with that uh, and, you know, keep him. I, I think he's going to finish out his rookie contract somewhere. And they're going to be like, good luck, Brett. We're going to find someone else who doesn't uh, throw a pick every, you know, five, uh, five passes. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he just it, it would be like if Josh Allen never got better and and also he didn't have that running ability. But yeah, just kind of chucking the ball and, and hoping for the best. I will say, though, it I liked this. Obviously, I liked it because the outcome was in our favor, but very, very little pass interference calls in this game. And it seemed like the Packers were counting on getting some flags on the field with the You know, obviously, that that's Brett Favre's strength is kind of throw it down the sideline see what happens. And there were some, some iffy, some close plays that they, they kept the flag in the pocket. I'm glad they did, but that probably hurt the Packers a little bit in this game. It did. And, and I also think, you know, Madden made several references to like him not being totally comfortable with his receiving core. 
as constructed like um you know i don't think donald driver was donald driver quite yet i I can't sort of remember his career arc and i should look that up before i say that but um he didn't (laughs) do it for you totally comfortable with anybody but bubba franks which is another great name that i had forgotten about um and so, I mean, those are definitely factors. And I know, you know, because I have family who are Packers fans and, um, you know, I certainly know that Favre was super talented. He had some great seasons, but like watching him in this game, it was like, it, it was like a microcosm of everything he did really poorly. Whereas it was like a microcosm <laughs> yeah. of everything Michael Victor did really well. It was like that kind of flip. And, and again, it wasn't just the quarterbacks, but I do think, Favre, in many ways, borderline single-handedly lost in this game. So, it, it, yeah, it was. And Amon Green, I mean, was kind of a no-show in this game. I know that they in the broadcast kind of said that was he dealing with injuries. He did end up leaving the game, but eleven carries, thirty-four yards, one catch for three yards. Like that, that's this is a player who was about as important to his team's identity as Work Done was for the Falcons. But Work Done really showed up in this game. Very kind of traditional, I feel like, Warwick Dunn stat line, 15 carries, 64 yards, four carry or four catches, 40 yards, 104 yards total. I Warwick Dunn, I think, is going to be a player that probably like fans who are under 20 right now, do you think that they have really any idea of of who Warwick Dunn is, what kind of player he was? Because I don't know if he's like gonna stand the test of time, but he the play as I was trying to think of like who are some comps, some modern day comps for work done. You know, I, I think this was he was a little bit more of a contemporary, I think, of of work done's, but Matt Forte in Chicago, very work done. I think Matt Forte was maybe a better pass catcher. Austin Eckler, another probably a little bit better of a pass catcher, but similar type of player. Just these smaller dudes who are tough as hell between the tackles. And don't mind kind of sticking their nose in there and, and getting the tougher yards uh, and, and can make guys miss and really play play both roles. I mean, Matt, what did you think watching work done in this game? Ooh, work done looked good. He uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, I remember a little bit of like work done's end of his career when uh, he, he wasn't quite as spry. So it, it was great watching. Uh, it was great watching a young work done. And it uh, it really made me want to talk about, I, I think, the, the run game. Just more generally, because the Falcons they did cross over 200 rushing yards for that game, and it was it was so much fun watching the different backs that they had between TJ Duckett, uh, your big back, uh, you know, DVD baby, yeah, uh, blowing through the line a few times. You've got work done, um, very shifty, catching the ball, uh, doing it really well, as well as uh, Mike Vick just adding that other dynamic um, uh, from sideline to sideline. It was, uh, it, it was phenomenal to watch. I, I don't think we get a lot of those run games um, anymore. And to, to another point, you don't really get the, you don't really get the running backs that are able to kind of be the star of the offense, like work done, hit done for a while. Now, now it's mm-hmm. split up between uh, three, four or five guys, uh, that, that, that sort of thing where you're deep into that rotation. So it was, uh, it, it was like this nice nostalgia piece uh, for me where you can just really watch that, uh, that run game develop. And, yeah, I got to love work done. Yeah, I, I, it's it's weird because like the specialization was clearly there with TJ Duckett and, and work done. Like TJ was clearly the, the he's the hammer, right? And I feel like teams have gotten away from that type of specialization 
Now it feels like you have two or three running backs who are all kind of the same on a, on a roster, and that's your committee. Maybe you've got like your third down pass catching back. But honestly, if you can't catch football nowadays as a running back, like you're probably not really going to have a huge role anyway. So I, I kind of feel like you get teams that have a, a player who is almost interchangeable on any given down. And it was nice seeing, like you said, a, a player smaller like Warwick Dunn, where I think a lot of teams would say, well, TJ Duckett's your starter. Like he's, he's big enough to handle your workhorse load and all that. And they're like, no, give it to Warwick Dunn. Let the little guy run. When we need TJ Duckett, we'll bring him in. But this is Warwick Dunn's offense. And I, you know, that's refreshing to see. But Dave, TJ Duckett, 17 carries in this game, more than Warwick Dunn. And it was it was great to see TJ Duckett. I mean, I think he's kind of a fan favorite who's been lost a little bit to time. Yeah, and I think it's it's funny because the backfield is I, you can take this how you want, right? But the backfield in Atlanta <laughs> is increasingly just a bunch of TJ Duckets, right? You you want big physical guys who are basically just bowling balls on skates, and um, you know that what made it work so well. I think you know TJ Duckett was kind of at times a one note guy, but he was awesome at in short yardage situations, uh, scoring situations. And he was a great compliment to Dunn and Vic because you never, you had to deal with Vic's speed ability to just take off and, and go for a mile. You had to deal with Dunn's speed and shiftiness and then Duckett is just going to run right through you. And so you're getting different looks and it was fun to see him sort of really in his prime. Um, just bowling dudes over and scoring touchdowns like he he so often did. Like he he had so many touchdowns. Um, <laughs> a guy who who had a sort of middling career otherwise. Um, it was yeah. I, I like I I love T J Duckett. So who was um oh was was it Tolbert in Carolina who that one season was like a fantasy football vulture just scored yes. like thirteen touchdowns and people would. They'd keep getting to like the five yard line and they just hand it to Mike Tolbert and he would have like two carries and one touchdown in the game and people would roster him on fantasy because it would get like 12 points just based on that one score alone. DJ Duckett would have killed in, in fantasy football nowadays. He, he would be off the board highly. But I, I made a note because one of Michael Vick's, I think, third down scrambles, kind of like that miraculous, oh, he's on the left sideline. He sneaks under a sack and now all of a sudden he's running right up the middle and nobody's there came out of a five wide set for all the talk that we just did about the the Falcons running game and how that was really the bread and butter. Why on earth did they not spread it out as much as possible when you have Michael Vick behind center? Could you imagine the look and space that this dude would be able to operate in if you just had because I don't know if teams were as sophisticated yet to be talking about like nickel defenses and really like getting small and matching up with all this speed. You would probably still have three linebackers out on the field just with 10 yards between them instead of four yards between them. And uh, am I crazy here? Would that have been the dumbest idea in the world? Because the Falcons really weren't a great passing offense. I just feel like that would have unlocked a new element of Michael Vick's rushing game to just use that space. So uh, this reminds me of, uh, I think it was 05 or 06 Madden, where, where Mike Vick was obviously undefeatable, but... You could run that. Uh, you could run that five wide every single play, and you you 
score pretty much every single play. We, we, it was undefeated, but I think uh, I, I think a little bit of it was it's just too too much old school football um, w- yeah. way back then, where they're like, we're we're not going to be we're not going to be gimmicky. doing this because no one does this. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, there there's even um I mean I feel like there were so many like college schemes where they're like no like they were doing it in college they were doing it in high school but they're like it's never going to work in the pros and that's just because you have a lot of these old coaches who are like no this is the way we've done it and this is the way we're always going to do it um sort of thing i feel like that's been the the approach for a whole lot of things too long and that that's probably actually that that's one of my takeaways from watching this game is that the offense that they were putting out there looks nothing like you would do if you had that same team today. If you, if you had Mike Vick, if you had work done, if you had TJ Duckett, um, I'm not saying there were a lot of good wide receivers uh, uh, in, in that group, but you would yeah. have a much, you would have a much, much bigger, a much different offense. And I, I think they were just starting to sort of learn, Oh, you can do this. You can do this because I mean, hell five years before Vick was uh, drafted, he probably just would have been a running back in the NFL. I think people were saying that back in the early 2000s too. So I, I think it's just, it, it's just a lot of that uh, old school mindset. Bill Polian yeah, was think, at it back then again as well. <laughs> yeah. And I think you can underrate, like you said, Matt, though, the, the receiver piece, because the Falcons really mm-hmm. did not, like if you were going to put five receivers on the field and your best one was arguably, you know, Brian Finneran, um, there is, there is sort of an element of, okay, Michael Vick is probably running the football. And like, I, I think yeah. it was, a little bit of an old co- uh, school coaching mindset, but like, you know, I, I, I loved Quentin McCord, um, but not a huge receiving threat. Trevor Gaylor is a name that Aaron Freeman brought up recently on Twitter. And I was like, I haven't thought about that guy in 20 years. Um, you know, it, it, and so these were the guys they were trotting out there and, and they kept trying to get it right. Um, sort of as they were up upgrading their coaching, they did not really upgrade from Dan Reeves to Jim Mora, but um, you know, I, I just feel like there are a lot of reasons that probably wouldn't have worked quite the way you wanted it to back then. But I think if you had a different set of receivers, it certainly would have made a difference. Ooh, I, I know you, it was cold out there, but did anyone notice Brian Finneran was like the favorite um, to move around the formation pre-snap? And he looked like a blocking tight end out there. Just kind of, I know it was cold. I know it was cold. But he, he was just lumbering around, and I was, I was like, ooh, he does not look like a wide receiver at all right there. No, yeah, he, he looks like uh, he looked like Levine Toilolo just, like, running around the formation. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> and, and I mean, he, he was probably, was he the leading receiver that game? He, he was. Probably he was. It was, yeah. it was Warwick yeah. Dunn was technically had 40 yards, but they both had four catches, and, and Finneran had 35 yards, and you know, uh, kind of as was his M.O. And you, you could make the argument that like Michael Jenkins was weirdly his like spiritual successor for this team. Um, but both players very like just reliable on key downs, like the quintessential possession receiver. Third down and six. Brian Finneran kind of running that that curl route uh, from eight to, to come back seven yards, catch it, you know, low ball type of thing. But did you know, Michael Vick, did he throw one of the least catchable balls of all time? Because that was always my theory, especially when the Falcons drafted Roddy White and then drafted, you know, Michael Jenkins and then Roddy White and invested really in their receiving core and just couldn't seem to really get any better. And then it was weirdly kind of when Michael Vick went away, Roddy was starting to ascend a little bit because, you know, he's Roddy White and he's good. But when you got other quarterbacks in there, the receivers 
took off a little bit. And so that always led me to believe Michael Vick just maybe put a little bit too much mustard on every single one of his passes when he didn't need to. It, it, was that just me being a little kid growing up watching him playing and, and being like, why is everybody dropping balls? Or, or was that, is, do you think that's a real thing? Uh, I, I do want to say that, you know, Roddy White was improving. So I, I don't think when he was playing with Mike Vick, he was, he, he was that Roddy who'd be able to put in that thousand yard season. But watching right. this game, I was like, holy shit. What are you doing, Mike Vick? It is, it's, it's like minus 50 degrees out. He's throwing the ball uh, conservatively four yards and he goes for the big wind up and it's like, it, it's like a rocket firing out of his arm and it's just, it pops <laughs> right up and out and over this receiver's hands. And I was like, I was like, you, you gotta hold back a little bit. Cause you know, 20 years ago, I would have said, you're a, you're a receiver. You need to be catching the ball and looking at it now. I'm like, you're probably breaking these people's hands right here. Like you don't need to be doing this. You can just take a, take a little bit of the edge off of it. Like it, it's still going to get there because it's a, uh, it, it looked a lot like uh, Brett, Brett Favre's uh, uh, nasty footballs as well. Just It's, it's it, like tough to in, in the movie Elf when Will Ferrell just starts chucking the snowballs <laughs> and it, it's like they CGI his arm to just be like uh, an absolute like weapon. <laughs> it's just boom, 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 boom. Like that's what it looked like coming out of Michael Vick's hand. Yeah, that, that's Mike Vick dumping the ball off. Dave, any 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 insights on uh, Michael Vick's uh, throwing motion? I, I think he he put entirely too much on it, and I think you saw it in this game. And I think you also saw, um, not so much in this game, but I was kind of going back and looking at Donald Driver's stats in particular. Like, Driver was a great example of a guy who, you know, Favre never put any touch on those balls, and Donald Driver was mm-hmm. just made to catch it anyways. And, like, the Falcons just never got like besides Algie Crumpler, really. Um, they never had that consistent receiving option who was comfortable just reeling in this, you know, a hundred mile per hour fastball from, as you said, four yards out. Um, <laughs> and it, it definitely like you saw both quarterbacks in this, this game were not throwing super catchable balls. And that was certainly a factor I think for Vic and especially early on before he learned to put a little bit more touch on it. Um, you know, in this game, it was it was a miracle that so many of those were caught because it was so cold, it was snowing, and those were coming in like faster than you could blink. Yeah, it it absolutely. I mean, it was insane. It, it definitely like four yards out. Just put a little bit of touch on that ball. Um, a great call out by Algie or for Algie Crumpler though was my favorite player growing up. Um, watching him because he was the only reliable weapon and therefore it seemed like he made every reliable catch. Uh, but Matt, you made a note uh, here in, in our doc that we're, we're looking at and you basically said it feels like the tipping point between old school football and new school football. And obviously we've done a lot of talking about how this in a lot of ways feels from a coaching perspective like old school football. A lot of conservative moves being made in a snowy, windy game, a lot of 40-yard field goals you know, going, running the ball on fourth and two from the two, just all this weird, dumb, old guy football mentality. But clearly the future of the game is is apparent when the, the ball is snapped. Michael Vick running around, you know, I, I think that Donald Driver is kind of a, a new version of a wide receiver, like a, a, a 
something that we saw clearly evolve during the 2000s and into the 2010s were these receivers capable of really elevating the game and being the star players on the field. And then you see, you know, defensively, the safeties, the corners, physical, getting up in there, jamming them, like this type of evolved football that we now see. Do you think that, you know, like how do you think that the coaching A, held these guys back at the time? You know, do you think that if these teams are playing maybe more in 2010, like how do you think that these offenses are are different and or similar? Ooh, that's a good question because um, be, because to a point, uh, wa- watching this game reminded me uh, a little bit of what the Ravens look like now, where they, they have this very stout defense. They have this yeah. uh, quarterback who's not you know they're not going to be a five thousand yard pass or anything at least not not anytime soon. But they, they've got this uh, they've got this heavy run game, and may, maybe things are just kind of cyclical uh like that and we're 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 kind of circling back to what atlanta was doing two (laughs) decades ago um but i I think that there's there's really just this at least what i feel is a a guy who just watches it on tv Uh, i i feel like there's this this kind of delay with uh these old school coaches like uh i mean you know to, to be polite like i don't think mike smith was uh uh, open to doing a lot of like new and exciting uh, things back when, back when he was coaching, but you have a lot of these new weapons. Actually, maybe Julio Jones would be like a great example of this. So like they tra- they traded all the way up from what I think twenty seven to six to take Julio Jones back in twenty eleven, and Mike Smith was like, "Oh yeah, we're so glad we got Julio. He is a great blocker." They're like, "No, <laughs> you're not taking him to to block." Like, <laughs> And if you, if you look at his stats, um, especially what uh, I think Mike Malarkey did with him in his uh, in his rookie year, like Julio Jones was this kind of like this situational deep threat. He did he had a pretty good number of yards, but the way he was used his rookie year and, and after was a whole lot different. After Mike Malarkey was, uh, I think he headed off to Tennessee or Jacksonville, one, one of those two. They seem to be the um, where some of our coaches and players end up. But I, I think there's just that, that that kind of lag you have between you get this Michael Vick type player, but you're not you're you're not about to change everything that you've been doing the last 30, 40 years, especially if you're a uh, say an older coach or a Dan Reeves sort, mm-hmm. and uh, you know just really flip flip everything around. I, I think uh, I think some teams are more likely to do that now. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think unless if you're going out for um, uh, you know, that's probably not a great way to say it. Uh, I think unless if you're swinging for say, like what, what is college coaches, you're doing like what Arizona is doing, um, something like that. I, I think you're going to be sticking with what works most of the time because it's worked for you um, previously. So it's that coaching kind of catching up to what that talent. Yeah. And I, I mean, Dave, that the West Coast offense, just the worst possible offense for Michael Vick to run, or was there something uh, that I'm, I'm forgetting about? No, it's pretty much the worst. Yeah. And I I think, you know, you you saw it again and again where there was this rare quarterback who would come along. There was your Fran Tarkenton early on. There was your Randall Cunningham later, a player that Mm -hmm. I always loved. And like these guys did not fit neatly into a box and they could do so many things at a high level. And I I never felt like in any of those guys' careers and including Vicks um, and, and, you know, I know that guy 
we'll call him Bobby Petrino was supposed to fix that for Vic. And we never got to see that. And yeah, maybe there's an alternate timeline where it's one of the great what ifs, honestly, it, it is. And like, I, I have this thought sometimes that like, we're all happy. I've got hair and like an alternate timeline. And like <laughs> Petrino turns out to be like a super successful coach and Vic's in the hall of fame. And like, everybody's happy, man. I want to live there. But um, since we don't, you, you know, but what I think you see is like, it's, and again, I know Dan Reeves, I think wished he had done something differently. I, I know Vic wishes he had done something differently, but like you, you definitely put Mike Vic in an offense and, and they let him do some interesting things. He had the ability to freelance, but it was not built to his strengths. Certainly like, you know, a short timing based passing game is not what Michael Vick does best. Um, and if you would put him in something a little bit different, that was more tailored to his strengths earlier on, um, maybe his entire career goes differently. So it is interesting to think back to that and, and be like, in many ways, given the supporting cast that he had, given sort of the attitudes of the coaching staffs that he had, given his own admission that certainly he could have been better than he was um it's amazing that he was such a transcendent talent that that almost didn't matter he did so many great (laughs) things anyways and this this game was really his coming out party in so many ways for me so um yeah not a great offense to circle back though it's not not the best place to put michael yeah and i i mean i think a lot of people would sit here and say well yeah i mean michael vick needs to be an rpo quarterback or or whatever because of his running ability but I, i think your point about the quick timing and passing he'd actually be better in a Kansas city, which I, you know, the Andy Reed in Philly thing. Yeah. That obviously worked out, but like a, a Kansas city or a Dallas or one of the, or Detroit kind of when, when they were there with Matthew Stafford, just this type of get three receivers out on the field again, spread it out, let him let him have an outlet for the quarterback, but like give him some room to work and operate and take these deep shots, threaten defenses deep. And, and then Michael Vick can take care of pretty much anything in front of him for 20 yards. <laughs> and that's, I, I just wish that we had really gotten to see him in a dirt cutter offense, honestly. And I never really thought that I would be saying like, yeah, give me a dirt cutter offense, but, but put him in that 2012 team. And that's, that's really interesting to me. So I, I you know, we, we're going to, we're going to keep talking about the game when we get to some of the categories here in a second. I just want to spend a moment though, talking about the broadcast because that was one of the coolest, I think parts. And, and one of my favorite things about going back and rewatching some of these old games is getting these old broadcasts. What what they're talking about, the references that they're using when they're sitting here saying that Michael Vick is is the new Randall Cunningham, and we know that he's going to basically be he was already that, and then become so much more. Just seeing John Madden and Al Michaels together, what a great all time historic pairing that didn't really last for all that long. I mean, you guys have much more context. Uh, for these broadcasts because yeah, I was younger back then. I'm not trying Don't to do this. Don't not do trying this. to do wow. it. But you guys are both 176 years old and I'm yeah, only exactly. six and yeah. a half. So yeah. Yeah, it just has to be mentioned. But what did you guys think about about seeing Al Michaels and, and John Madden together in this game? Well, I really preferred, you know, um, back in the 1920s when you had like the squawk box <laughs> and Leather helmets, you know, that was really my heyday. Yeah. But just FDR, you know, just sitting there you know, cheering them on. Yeah, some fireside chats, and it was yeah. great. Um, but, you know, this more modern pairing, I, I think, you know, ev- everything everybody said about Madden when he unfortunately passed away was true. And like, 
it's so striking to go back and like he sounds so folksy he's got you know that really distinctive grumble and way of talking but he's giving you insights that you just don't get from modern announcers consistently and he's doing it in a very approachable way and i feel like it's either one or the other right you either have guys who dive in so deep that like the casual fan does not know what they're talking about or you have guys who are just very surface level skimming it not particularly interesting and, and like madden always knows who these players are he knows sort of their strengths and weaknesses he's got the history of the game in his head and like super open-minded guy and like the way he was talking about the falcons you know like it wasn't a huge huge surprise that they were doing this well that you know vic is clearly a special player like comparing him in some ways to randall cunningham and contrasting his game like there's just a lot of cool stuff in that broadcast and they they have like that perfect vocal pairing too like it's, it's kind of like traveling back in time hearing it again I think Dave uh, waxes a little more poetic than uh, I'm about to. I, I spent uh, I spent a good point, part of it um, just remembering how angry like I'd be at announcers where uh, you know I feel like John Mannon spent the whole game being like, ah, well, no one's helping out Brett Favre enough. Brett Favre is really trying to help win this game. Really, really like a Brett Favre. There are a couple of things going wrong with Brett Favre here, and I'm like, I'm like, you should be talking about something else uh, here, John Mannon. It's, more, more than Brett Favre, and then I think him and Al Michaels for, I think, like 20 minutes, they might have talked about shower shoes or something like that. I, I don't know. There, there were a couple <laughs> times where they were talking about things where I'm like, I, I don't know if this should be on, like, primetime TV in a, in a playoff game. I think they're just trying to kill off time because, you know, it's a 27-7 to 7, uh, deep into the fourth quarter or something like that. So, but it was, uh, you know, it, it, there, was, there was some of the, the good nostalgia from uh, seeing them both together, but I, I spent part of it just being like, what, what are you guys doing? I feel like we get some pretty good announcers uh, uh, nowadays. Yeah, it was it was a little John Gruden ish, just having John Madden fixate only on the quarterbacks. Well, I'll tell you, Al Michael Vick, just uh, and John uh, Brett Favre. Uh, yeah, it's like, all right, can we can we diagnose maybe why this fourth and two and uh, like uh, the goal line wasn't maybe the best play in the world? Like that that is where I think Tony Romo is a spiritual successor to John Madden, but he's he's evolved for the modern modern age. Like we as a as a society fans, we are smarter, and so what John Madden did really really well was take very complex ideas and simplify them for basically everybody was kind of coming in with ground level information and making them feel like they were getting access to the way that coaches look at the game. Now we all pretty much have the, the basic knowledge of why a tight end is maybe going to do a crackback block on a toss sweep, which is what like John Madden would diagnose. We kind of know that what Tony Romo will do is okay. Here's why they checked into this toss back crack sweep because the safety rolled down on the other side and X, Y, and Z all of that. So very similar, but it was cool to kind of see, all right, this is kind of where people's knowledge was in 2003 of the game and and what they were able to comprehend and, and grasp. But then also on top of that, it just, he was so good at, I think the little adding comic flourishes to the broadcast. They were genuinely, there were some funny moments in this game. Uh, you know, when, when, I, and I think Al Michaels played off of him really well uh, at times, uh, giving him a, a line where basically he said, you know, some people say that the wheel was the greatest invention, John. No way. It was thermal underwear. I mean, they're, they're up here in like 20 degree weather. That's beautiful. Uh, one person, John Madden, just being way ahead of his time, 
talks about um, Melissa Stark, who we're going to get to in one second, saying that she's going to be a, a snow person instead of a snow uh, snowman, which I, you know, I was like, kudos, John Madden, look at you in 2003. And then right off the cuff, Al Michaels is like a snow angel. So I, I thought that those two, their chemistry was, was spot on. But Melissa Stark, that is a name that I've not heard in a long time. Whatever happened to her? Because I thought she was great in this game. Yeah, I really don't know, but like it, it same thing. It was it was surprising. I didn't recognize the voice at first and then I was like, "Oh yeah, Melissa Stark." It was it was one of those Keon Carpenter moments for me where I was like, <laughs> I have not thought about this person in a long time, but they're great. Um, yeah, it, it's it was it was fascinating to see her out there doing a great job and like just how different the broadcast was 20 years ago, like you said. Um, also, but the most jarring thing of all was hearing Rich Gannon MVP. <laughs> that that was the thing that shook me the most out of the entire broadcast. I had forgotten that happened. I feel like it's going to be like that that 2014 season that Carson Palmer had that was just like really weirdly good and he finished like third in like the MVP voting. That's how I think of that Rich Gannon year. Yeah, it's sort of like that people would say um, you know, in some ways that it's like the the Matt Ryan MVP year, except, of course, in 2018, he was almost as great in a very doomed yep. year um, under Sark. But, yeah, it's just one of those those seasons where, like, you had a good quarterback all of a sudden have this historically great year kind of in the context of the times and win the MVP. And then you just stop thinking about Rich Gannon. So or at least I know I did. So. Matt, I know Rich Gannon's your favorite quarterback uh, in NFL history. Care to defend him? Uh, no, I, I still think about Rich Gannon on a daily basis. Um, I, I still think about to that. I still think back to that season. Uh, there's, I, I have no notes on that season. It was perfect from start to finish. It's all I've got. You're like Jobu in Major League, just like opening up your shrine to Rich Gannon. <laughs> uh. so, someone's got to have the shrine. All right. Um, let's, let's move on to our categories, which we'll run through and then we'll get out of here. But the, the first category we've got for this game is the can't do that anymore award, which is basically how the game has changed. Can't do that anymore, man. You, you just know, you know, you can't take a guy's head off over the middle. You're going to get a flag. But in 2002, or I guess three, because again, I, I have no idea how you, how you reference these things. You could. And it was it was a simpler time in some ways. In a lot of ways, it was a worse time, but it was a simpler time. You could do that. So I've got a couple of nominations here. Uh, Michael Vick in the in the third quarter is scrambling, doing one of his patented things, takes two just shots like kind of right around the head and neck area. Definitely any shot a quarterback takes nowadays is, is probably going to be a flag uh, and definitely two around the head. So that's one. Uh, Jerron Bolden, who was one of the players that I mentioned who kind of made several plays. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, I, I think I consider myself pretty well-versed in Falcons history. And Ron Bolden was not a name that I had come across uh, many times. But if you were 176 years old, you would remember. him. So. Thank you. I'm yeah. just 170 years short of that yeah. number. So, but, <laughs> but he, he crushes Javon Walker, like right when the ball gets there. Um, and, and then, I mean, on top of that, Matt, the, the Donald Driver kind of concussion shoulder thing, I know you mentioned right at the top. Talk about that now. Uh, so I, I actually tried re-watching that to see if that was like definitely a head injury. I, I couldn't really tell with the way he went down, but to give everyone who hadn't seen it 
um, a, a little bit of that background. Uh, I think there was a 14-yard pass from Brett Favre. Uh, driver goes up to get it. There, there's some contact. He comes to the ground, and Driver had been dealing with a shoulder injury because um, I, I know John Madden would not stop mentioning it. But he he goes to the ground and he's he's motionless. He's not motionless for like a second where it's kind of like oh, that, that, it's like, like Rod Tidwell in Jerry Maguire. Yeah, he he was he was down for yeah he was down for quite some time. Like the, the the camera panned away a couple times, they panned back, and like he was still like motionless. Like football had rolled away from him, and John Madden's like, oh, he really hurt his shoulder there. Oh, I was like, he looks like he's had a concussion. Like he, he he's not moving or anything. And the camera like they're they're showing the sidelines of everyone like going crazy, and then John, I think it was John Madden says. Uh, Oh yeah, Brett Favre basically picked him up and like jogged him back to the to the sidelines, and you just see Donald, Donald Driver like now conscious um, on the sidelines, kind of like <laughs> getting his helmet off and stuff like that. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I think he, I think he just had a brain injury, and they're they're gonna give him some Gatorade and send him back out there for another, uh, um, you know, what uh, two quarters basically. That's that's insane to me. Like it's uh, it's it's one of those big changes that you you've definitely noticed. It, it, it's, I like the fact that everything's worked out because we can wildly speculate 20 years ago about a player's injury. <laughs> 100% had a concussion. concussion. When he regained consciousness as Brett Favre picked him up and threw him over his shoulder. <laughs> he, he dragged him off the field, gave him some smelling salts. He was, he was fine. It did. It honestly did. As you were talking about that, it reminds me so much of that Rod Tidwell uh, touchdown catch at the end of Jerry Maguire, where he just kind of gets flipped and lands and everybody's like, is he okay? Is he alive? Like that's a little bit what it felt like. So of those, those three, we got Vic taking, taking shots to the head. We got Jerron Bolden just crushing a receiver arguably before the ball gets there, but definitely right as the ball is getting there. And then we got Donald driver potentially giving himself a, a major concussion, blacking out being revived by Brett Favre. The one good thing that he did all day uh, and then coming back into the game of those three, what is the uh, the winner of the can't do that anymore award? I would definitely give it to the Vic shots. Like if you, as a quarterback, took a hit like that today, the ref would be around your neck with piano wire. I feel like <laughs> like immediately he'd be strangling you out on the field. Um, like the the way we treat quarterbacks in any sort of motion. <laughs> at all like has changed so significantly to me that's like even seeing a couple of the hits that Favre took like it, it just doesn't feel like something you could do anymore we saw Grady Jarrett get a flag for gently picking up a quarterback putting him down <laughs> and only tucking him in under a sheet instead of a blanket so like we this has changed to me so much that that is that is definitely the can't do that anymore I'm I'm gonna agree with that pick because uh, in in that third quarter when Vic was on that run, so Vic's heading, um, he's pretty much going north, and the defender's going south, and you see the defender drop his helmet um, going in for the tackle, and like I, I went to the point where I was I was like, oh my god, like right right before the hit, and I was like, you be you would no doubt be suspended for that, even if that was like a running back, like you can't you can't make that hit anymore in the NFL, let alone on a on a quarterback, like a potential uh, quarter of a, or like half a billion dollar player, like what, what they're paying quarterbacks now. So that, yeah. that's definitely, that's definitely my pick. I was like, I forgot that they used to be able to do that. Yes. I, I, we're going to go unanimous here. I do. I do think the Donald driver one is a great call by you, Matt, because 
we would you would just be getting updates throughout the rest of the game. He'd be in the blue tent. It would it would be a huge thing. But yeah, I mean, Michael Vick, I, he was running. He was dying. But there was also a moment uh, where Matt Bowen, which honestly, you want to talk about a time machine yeah. like early in the game on their first drive. He's basically on the sidelines running out of bounds. Matt Bowen like delivers a shot. Uh, now an ESPN broadcaster. <laughs> so that's that's hilarious. He finished with 15 tackles, led Green Bay on defense in this game. But yeah, I mean, Michael Vick just taking multiple shots, especially around the head and neck area, is the, uh, the obvious winner here because you definitely cannot do that in, uh, in 2022. So moving on to the, uh, the next category that we have here, which is the most 2002 thing about this game. Similar to the first category, just, you know, we broaden it, broaden the scope a little bit. Got uh, two categories here. Feel free to add your own. Um, but the Packers, as I mentioned, lined up in 23 personnel, two backs, three tight ends on fourth and goal from the two-yard line, and then just ran the damn ball right up the middle. That's a very 2002 thing. And then the uh, Packers, again, going for a field goal down 20 with under a minute left in the third quarter, and then just missing the field goal anyway. Uh, so that's a that's a very 2002 thing. Anything else that I'm missing here that you guys caught? No, I think that was that was it for me. And I mean, to me, there's there's also a clear winner there, right? Like when I was just a boy in 1906 and football was just getting started, <laughs> you know, that was that that Packers running play would have been Rutgers right Navy. Just, yeah, it would have been right home, crazy. you know, uh, with with the. Uh, the William McKinley offense. So it, it uh, to me, that was definitely a thing that like, and yes, you do still see that sometimes in the modern NFL, but I think we all agree that it is a ridiculous waste of time to do it. Whereas back then, I think it was just something that happened pretty regularly. Uh, I, I'm going to vote for that as well, but I did appreciate that, uh, that Madden and Michaels multiple times referred back to that play call. And they were like, just the worst call of the night. Like just a terrible play. And I was like, yeah, then I feel like nowadays you, you get fired for that uh, in, for most teams. Uh, it would be, it would be 100% like the first question of the press conference uh, afterwards being like, you know, do you think you should have just gotten some points on the board there that that would have maybe sparked your team, all that. And Oh my God. Is that your the, D-led impression? He always gets a first. Oh uh... Uh, yeah. Hey coach. Uh, that fourth and two. <laughs> Sorry, D-Led. Big fans. Love you, man. Uh, (laughs) um, Yes, I I agree. I I think that that's just very conservative football. Very conservative football, right? And and you're saying you could see the thought in their heads being like, well, if we don't get it, at least they're pinned at the two. And it's like, who cares, dude? Score points. (laughs) Like... Um, so yeah, 100% we are, we're two for two here. Best broadcast moment. Next, uh, next category, John Madden basically predicts how, how defenses are going to evolve. And, and sure, Mike Vick is the cause of this, but at one point pretty early on in the game, it's just like teams have to get faster on defense. If you're going to play Michael Vick, you know, you've got to have faster defensive ends who can chase him around. We saw that with Julius Peppers getting drafted, essentially the very next, I think draft, um, you see, linebackers like Thomas Davis. I know I'm just mentioning Panthers players. That's because they were pretty early in in adjusting and adapting to Michael Vick. And you see how that really led to uh, evolved defenses as well. So John Madden early on that. Mike Pereira getting a shout out in 2003. I mean, talk about a guy that that's aged well, right? Just like Dave over here. Um, 
So uh, that was wild. Thank you, and then <laughs> You're welcome. Please, please allow me to continue to write for this website. I, I need it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, John Madden, you know, I mentioned it earlier, saying Melissa Stark's going to turn into a snow person way ahead of his time. And then Al Michaels hopping in and saying Snow Angel. Of those three, Matt, what do you what do you think is the best broadcast moment? Or do you have another one? Um, I, I do like that first one because Madden... I, I feel like Madden helped point out the evolution of football. And I, I think a little bit of that's kind of the, the players and the talent. Uh, like I said, Mike Vick, before Mike Vick's time, probably would have been a running back. You probably have a lot of guys who, um, you know, they, they might have been playing a different position. And then suddenly you have a, uh, I mean, I remember when, say, Mario Williams was drafted. He was just this absolutely absurd mixture <laughs> of size and speed, like, you, you mm-hmm. hadn't seen that before. And I, I, I think that uh, you, you have your players like Mike Vick, who, uh, uh, who has all of, who, who has the needs kind of like trickle down into high school and college. And now you have these faster, bigger guys that they that they need to start pumping out to be your Mike Vick type players. Uh, I, I found I found that to be uh, for sure the, the most interesting and like very you know, very smart of Madden to have uh, picked up on that, uh, especially uh, especially that early in Mike Vick's career. Yeah, what about you, Dave? I'd agree. I, I, I hate to keep agreeing and <laughs> this this kumbaya moment. We're here, all very agreeable here. We Wait, are. We're just me, a friendly bunch of guys, you know. Um, but I, I would say the same thing. And I, I think it would be really easy to say, like, well, the league is going to figure Michael Vick out or, like, he's got some limitations as a passer today and like be a little bit dismissive of it but he really did look at Vic I think as that kind of transformational player that he proved to be which is one of the ways that Madden was you know forward looking um and so to me that was the most interesting part of the night because he really did predict not just what defenses would do with Michael Vick but what defenses have to do now to survive against quarterbacks who are just much more mobile in general um, and, and more capable of doing these things. You know, Vic was really the outlier at the time. He's not today. Um, he'd mm-hmm. still be a pretty spectacular player today, I think, um, <laughs> certainly. But, like, he was one of a kind then. And and so for Madden to see that and really accurately look ahead to say, this is what's going to have to happen to contain a guy like Michael Vick, I think was really cool. Yeah, and I do still think that, like, my weirdly... If he was in here today, even though he inspired a lot of the athletes that came back and the training and the development and just their access to football is much better at an earlier age, I kind of think Michael Vick could still be the best crop of of the modern era of quarterbacks as well. Like, that's how crazy good his talent was, the arm strength, the athletic ability. If you got him in the right scheme with the right coaching, like, we, we could be talking about multiple-time MVP winner. Like, that's how good this dude was, and and it's a shame we didn't get it, but... I also really, I, I agree with y'all for the sake of, of being different. I'm going to say Mike Pereira getting a shout out in 2003. I mean, Tom Brady was drafted in 2000. I feel like Mike Pereira is second on the list of just longest ass tenured dudes in the NFL, their job. And why has he not gotten a promotion since 2003? Man, still just getting called up about every penalty that they have a question about. Like, what's up, Mike Pereira? Come on. Anyway, <laughs> I, I think that as we're talking about coaches, kind of old school coaches, old school philosophy, it would have been really unsurprising to see John Madden talk about how schemes need to defend Michael Vick. Michael Vick is a scheme-breaking player. So I think the smartest thing he did was realize that athletes need to change on that side of the ball. 
not the schemes because there's not anything you can do to contain this guy with just diagrams. You know, you have to have the dudes that can match his athletic ability. And I think that was the smartest point about that whole thing that he said was, you know, not just, well, they're they're running a cover one. They need to run a cover two because they'll have it's no, these guys just need to be faster. They need to be quicker because Michael Vick can break whatever you're going to throw at him. Um, moving on to the next one hits you right in the feels. Nostalgic moment or player. I've got two here. Michael Vick scramble on the left sideline that we mentioned kind of when they're split out five wide. Classic Michael Vick. I mean, dude has him pinned on the boundary. Just knock him out of bounds. Stays in bounds. Scrambles on a third and three. Picks up a big yard. I think they go down and that's when they tack on the field goal. Um, And then the other one I just wrote down because seeing Michael Vick under center with that really, really cool at the time like offset leg thing where where it was almost like he's taking a free throw or something, not not like he was just under center, like even stance, athletic stance, like you're squatting. Just him crouched back was really, really cool. Brought back a lot of memories. Anything else you all saw saw or uh, any of those two stand out to you? Uh, I, I do want to point out that the uh, the jerseys were dope as fuck. Um, oh hell yeah! Are, are we swearing on your? Are we swearing on this podcast? I know I already did. Um, I just didn't fuck know. yeah now, goddamn. All right, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, shit. shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that, those those jerseys brought me back one hundred percent, and I was like, I, I do miss that. But I, I think most of all was really uh, was seeing that run game. I, I didn't realize how much I missed this uh, this heavy dose of. Uh, um, this heavy dose of like your your different type of run options that uh, that they yeah. have between Dunn and Duckett and uh, ha- having Ryan out there as well like it was it was exciting as hell and I'm I'm like I, I don't think we see enough of this I'm sure at some time the NFL is going to circle back on it because everyone's going to be you know everyone's going to be too small and too fast to really pull that down but i love i loved watching that i i thought that was that that was fantastic i would would watch it again what about you dave there are so many like little nostalgic things that were probably just nostalgic for me i was i was an avowed quentin mccord fan of all people um and seeing him kind of open up the game with that really cool run um it was like damn that was awesome um, so there's a lot of little things like that, but it, it's definitely for me, it's it's Vic because like looking back and just seeing everything about him was so cool and so different from anything else we had seen watching Falcons football. You know, I love Chris Chandler. I loved, um, briefly loved Jeff George, definitely love Chris Miller, <laughs> like different game, um, you know, very, yeah. very different game. And like Vic came in and that was the year that you knew that he was going to be something spectacular and seeing like them go into green Bay. You know, I, I think my dad let me have my, my first beer at home at like 18 when I watched this, uh, sorry, 118. Um, and you know, so like all of these things kind of conspire, but like looking back on, it, I can really put myself back into watching that game and just being awed by, as I was so many times, like what Vic was capable of. So that, that for me was the big standout. Yes, absolutely. And Matt, I like I think your point about the run game is is really interesting because the the thing that I when I like first started watching football, I, I want to say the very first game I ever remember is like a Green Bay Browns game. And I just remember watching, I think, uh, Cleveland run the ball three straight times, just like right up the middle, like I formation, just dive up. the, And I was like, why do you watch this? This is the most boring thing in the world, because running the football can be really monotonous. 
But that's the thing is the Falcons did it in a way that felt varied. It felt like any handoff or any run play could be totally different than the last and ex- like really explosive. And I think kind of the 49ers are maybe the only team in today's NFL that kind of feels the same way where they just run the ball in so many different ways that it, it, it's not familiar. It doesn't get stale. It's not boring. Um, but yeah, my, Michael Vick really kind of taking it over to the, to the next level is probably the, the right answer. Although great shout out for the jerseys. I forgot to mention that. Uh, just always nice when the Falcons are playing just dope ass football in dope ass jerseys. Like it, it was really cool. Uh, and there, there was no better, honestly, Jersey for Michael Vick at that time. Um, than that old school throwback jersey. So last two here, best stretch of the game. Really simple here. I, it, it was not a great game, honestly, because it was so one-sided. But for the Falcons, the first nine minutes uh, when they scored on their opening drive and then blocked the punt and score again, or the final five minutes when they recovered two fumbles and intercept Brett Favre to put the game away. Uh, what, what do you guys think was the best stretch of the game? For me, it was definitely the, the start. Right. Like I can remember being blown away by how hot that start was. And I I did have a couple of moments, nothing like I would have today if the Falcons got up, you know, like 21 nothing and (laughs) team started driving. I'd be like, oh, shit. Oh, no. Yeah. um, But the back then, you know, there were a couple of moments where I was like, you know, Brett Favre, the Packers, they're going to make something out of this. But, you know, that lead felt insurmountable pretty quickly. Um, and just seeing how sloppy the Packers were and seeing the Falcons kind of take advantage of every opportunity, that was that was fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's tough to beat the, the, that start of the game. Because um, if you're if you're listening along to John Madden, you know they're saying that, hey, you know, no, no one's beating the Packers here in Lambeau in the playoffs. Like that's the only thing. I think you heard that the whole week ahead of that game. And then for Atlanta to come in and, uh, really just ice out the game um, that early was absolutely absurd. So that, that's, that, that's my easy pick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to very uh, go off the path with you guys and, and vary it up here and, and say the final five minutes. I, I don't think we, again, talked enough about the defense, which is probably my fault. Um, but I, I just think that they were really the story of this game. And for them to close it out the way that they did, I know one of the, the recovered fumbles was just a bad snap, but like John Madden said, you know, they don't have any rushers that scare anybody, but they just get after other teams. And that was really what I noticed. It reminds me a little bit of kind of like the the Las Vegas Raiders defensive line when they had Max Crosby and uh, who was the other Carl Nassib on the other side. And just these these dudes. And I know I'm just mentioning white defensive ends because of Brady Smith and Patrick Kearney. So sorry about that. But just like these guys who came and just beat the hell out of you. Uh, and and really just made it a, a tough afternoon. So the final five minutes of the game was really enjoyable to watch because you knew the Falcons had it in hand, but to see them really close it and step on the other team's throats, especially on the road, especially Brett Favre in Lambeau, you're not supposed to do that to the Packers in Lambeau. And so that was that was kind of cool to see. Um, so so I'll go there. But yeah, the first nine minutes fun as hell. If you're only going to watch nine minutes, go check. Check that out on YouTube. Um, last one, MVP of the game, the Matt Ryan Award, because he's the only team MVP in history. Uh, three picks, I think, here for all the Matt Ryan, or geez, for all the Michael Vick <laughs> raving that we've done on this podcast, I don't have him as one of my three because he made some big plays in spurts. Not his best game overall. Um, I don't think if you guys really want to push back, feel free. But I've got Keon Carpenter, two interceptions, 
five passes defensed, four tackles, one fumble recovery, which was his own. So that's kind of cheating. Still, it's on the box score. Patrick Kearney, one sack, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Both of those coming on the Packers' final two drives to really seal the game. And then Warwick Dunn, best player on offense for Atlanta, uh, not named Michael Vick, I guess, but 104 total yards. Is this the easiest, the one that we've had all, all night? I mean, I know we've been pretty aligned on a lot of these, but I feel like this is pretty, pretty easy. Matt, we'll go with you first. Who you got? I think we're all agreed it's Patrick Kearney. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's tough to... Uh, I, I was trying to come up with a good argument for work done, but Carpenter was Carpenter was so good, and he was so good throughout the, the entire game. I, I, you, I, you really can't pick anyone other than him. Yeah. That that's the that's the choice, right, Dave? Yeah, he's a tone setter all game long. Like you can make a case for Vic for Dunn um, for sure, but to me, Carpenter made plays early. He made plays late. He was a consistent force. He, you know, the the Packers were sloppy. I kept, I keep mentioning that they were terrible, but you also need somebody to punish those mistakes, or they don't matter. And Carpenter did that all game long. So to me, he's the the easy MVP. Yep, 100%. Started off the the Falcons' first defensive drive with an interception. It was huge all throughout the rest of the night. And then fourth quarter, another pick uh, to really, again, kind of set the Falcons' defense on that path to clinch the game. All right, he's our MVP of this one. Uh, that'll do it. Guys, any final closing thoughts uh, as we kind of wrap this up on this game? Big win, huge moment for Michael Vick. Uh, beat a legendary franchise on their home turf for the first time ever in postseason history. It, it was a, a really memorable game. What What are your main takeaways with, about it? Uh, feels good. Uh, it was fun. I, I think that's I think that's what I've been missing the most from Falcons uh, the last five or so years. That was super fun to watch. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, awesome to break some of those records. But uh, I just had a hell of a time watching uh, the the Falcons uh, look good. That's the saddest uh, takeaway possible, but that, that's what I've got. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good one, though. I mean, like we're we're all. I, I say it a lot in my articles. We're tired of watching the Falcons lose because, you know, we're not Cleveland Browns fans. We remember the good times. They did exist, and this was one of them. You know, like this, this to me, like I, I obviously remember the '98 Super Bowl well. I was a, a robust 99 years of age at that point, so um, a youngin. A youngin at the time, um, but you know, you you go back to that, and like a few years after that, they were very jumbled. It was kind of a question of like what was going to happen with Dan Reeves. You know, the Falcons traded up to get Michael Vick. Was it the right choice? And like seeing everything click, you know, beating one of the the NFL's marquee franchises on their home turf for the first time ever, really validating that you built a hell of a team where somebody like Keon Carpenter could be the MVP. Seeing Vick arrive on the scenes like seeing all of those things come together i would not have named this as like maybe my favorite you know falcons win over the years um but going mm -hmm. back and watching it like i think it, i underrated it a bit in my memory because you think about the time you think about the circumstance the game itself as sloppy as it was for the packers in particular like special special game so really fun to watch yeah and, and that's kind of the point about this a, a little bit you know like Sure, this is one of the marquee games. Like, if you're going to do the top Falcons wins or whatever of the last 20 years, which I should say it's 20 year anniversary of, of this win, this is probably like one of the ones on the list. But 
it may not be at the forefront of everybody's minds. And and I think a lot about the 2016 season, that two game stretch with the Packers and the Chargers. Like those are some of my favorite games to to think about to do stuff like that. And and this is kind of I put in that category where it may not be right at the forefront of everybody's mind. But when you go back and rewatch it, they're they're just fun as hell. And and it just reminds you of why you love this team when they are playing this way because they can be so much fun and frankly different than like a lot of other teams um, around the league. But that will do it for uh, today's episode. And uh, please go watch this game. Please, uh, you know, ch- check it out. Take a trip down memory lane. Follow Dave Choate at Words and Beer on Twitter. Matt Chambers at Falcoholic Matt. Guys, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to join me today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, it's awesome. I really hope that y'all enjoyed that little detour from what we normally do here on the podcast. You know, no news or anything came out of this one, but just really cool, I think, to get the chance to go back and, and relive some great moments, talk about some former players, and, and that's the goal of this exercise. So if you guys liked it, please uh, shoot me a line on Twitter, uh, email the show at believeinfalcons at gmail.com, or, and, and let us know, you know what you thought. If there's a game that you would like to hear us talk about, discuss, and cover, let us know. Um, and, and we'll keep kind of rolling these out throughout the summer as it's quiet. There's, there's not as much news on the Falcons' uh, team side of things. So it'll give us a chance to look back at some of the team history that I don't think has necessarily gotten as much run in Atlanta media coverage as maybe it should. And I think that's how you kind of build out a little bit more of, of a legacy, dynasty, like historic feel around a team. Um, and and that's something that I would like to help try to do for the Falcons, because I think that's really cool when a team does have a history that it can be proud of. Not saying that the Falcons, you know, necessarily always fall in that category, but there are some good notable wins that we should, you know, lift a little bit higher. Uh, so so that's the point of all of this. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. Today's podcast presented by Bet Online. As always, please like, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. A uh, little bit of a programming note. I'm going to be out of town next week so probably not getting a podcast if you are gonna if i'm gonna be able to get one together it'll be later on in the week so this one will maybe tide you over in the meantime all right take care everybody thank you for listening to believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.